Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. joy to have the privilege of bringing the Word of God on Christmas Eve. Let's turn to Luke chapter 2 if you have a copy of the Bible in front of you or on your device. And if neither, then you can follow on the screen. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read it from the ESV, verses 1 to 13, but when we come to verse 14, I'm going to go back to the King James Version. The words that appear on millions of Christmas cards every year and have for the last several centuries, as long as people have been sending greetings to each other. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Verse 14. Let's begin at verse 1. So last last week, let me just say this. We were in Luke chapter 1 bringing out the importance and the centrality of the miraculous conception of Jesus, that he was conceived by the Virgin Mary. This was a miracle. It is central to the Christmas story, and the whole first chapter of Luke is emphasizing it in many different ways. Now we come to the actual Christmas story. Verse 1, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered or enrolled or taxed. I'll explain it in a minute. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Notice the historical landmarks. He's given us. This is how in the ancient world they dated things by who was in power, who was ruling. They didn't tell you the year. They told you, well, it was during the time that Caesar Augustus was in power. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. That is, they were engaged, a legal engagement. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear." And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, and goodwill toward men. You know, remember, the man that wrote this is Luke, the beloved physician. He was a doctor. He was a companion of the Apostle Paul and went with Paul on his missionary journeys. But he was also a historian. And he gives us two books in the New Testament, this gospel, and then the second volume is the book of Acts that explains the spread of the Christian faith throughout the Roman Empire and who God used to do that. Luke was very careful in his research and putting together the facts concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he gives us this detailed account of the nativity. The other gospel that gives us more information is Matthew, the first two chapters of Matthew. So two of the four gospels give us information about Jesus' birth and the circumstances. You put them together and then you get a a fuller picture of what occurred when the Lord Jesus was born. So as we go through this passage, I want to just go through it. I want to highlight some things and draw your attention to some of the details that are important for us to see in order to raise our appreciation for what Christmas means, what the whole purpose of coming uh, together as families and giving gifts to one another, what is behind that, who has inspired this beloved holiday, a favorite with most people around the world. So I want you to know, in verses 1 to 3, the time in world history when Jesus was born. The time in world history when Jesus was born. Now, I just told you that in the ancient world, this is how they marked off events uh, when they occurred in history. It tells us that in those days, a decree, a decree is an edict. And this edict was sent forth by Caesar Augustus. He's the first emperor of the Roman Empire. He actually, his name before he became Caesar Augustus was Gaius Octavius. He was the adopted nephew of Julius Caesar. Really interesting when you read into the background of who these Roman emperors were. And he eventually becomes the first emperor of Rome. And he reigned from 27 B.C. to 14 A.D., just over 40 years. And this was a great time for the Roman Empire. It was a time of peace. And the people of, of, that lived in his empire, they thought that he was a savior because they had some wonderful times of peace while he was in power. So Caesar Augustus decides that he wants to take a census. He wants to know how many people are in his empire, but it was for the purpose of taxation. And so it required 
of the heads of households that they go to their ancestral city of origin, not where they were presently living. Joseph and Mary are up in Nazareth. They're in the northern part of Israel, around Galilee. But they have to get down into the south, 70 miles away, to Bethlehem. And we'll come to that in just a second. So this is the decree. It was forced on people. A decree means you've got to obey it, essentially. They had to comply with the decree. Each to his own town. So this is the setting. This is who was ruling the world. And when it says that all the world should be registered, that doesn't mean every inhabitant on the face of the earth. It means the people within the Roman Empire, those who were under the domination of Rome. They are the ones that have to comply with the decree. Because there are many people that lived outside of the Roman Empire. They did. It was nearly a a worldwide empire, but yet not every inhabitant of the earth was ruled by the Romans. Now, notice secondly, in verses 4 and 5, Joseph and Mary have to journey to Bethlehem in obedience to this decree. Now, had this decree not been passed by Caesar Augustus, Mary is in her third trimester of pregnancy. She's at the end. And you would normally, we would have surmised if this detail had not been in there, that she would have given birth in Nazareth, where they were, up in the northern part. But this decree of Caesar forced them to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. This was not random or accidental. This had to happen because the Old Testament had said that the Messiah is going to come out of Bethlehem. He who is to be the ruler. This is in the prophet Micah, 700 years before the birth of Christ. 700 years. Chapter 5 and verse 2. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. So how is Joseph and Mary going to get down to Bethlehem so that the Messiah can be born? Just think of this. That God, God's hand is in this. The events of history are not random. They're not accidental. God is behind this. And he moved on the heart of Caesar Augustus to pass this census, this taxation. Because they had to comply and they took this journey. So they had to travel. Notice the text says that they went up. Catch that? Verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee. Now, when we talk about going up, I I always think of, he's got to go north. In my head, when you say, I'm going to go up to San Francisco or something, I'm going north. It doesn't have to do with direction when it uses that language. It's talking about elevation. Because Bethlehem was in the hill country. Of Judea, the same as Jerusalem, like 3,000 feet elevation. 
And there in Nazareth, which is about 1,500 feet lower, they're in the foothills, not the high country, Nazareth. So in order to get from Nazareth all the way south, 70 miles or 100, depending on what route they took, it was going to require them to actually do some climbing in their travels. So just think of that. Mary's pregnant, third trimester, and they're taking this journey, which could take anywhere from four days to a week to get down to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is just south of Jerusalem. I've been there. I've seen the the church, went in the church where they have the nativity spot of Jesus' birth. So they had to, the challenge of that journey kind of stands out to me right here, right off the bat. And they went to the city of David. So Bethlehem is called the city of David because that's where David was born. Why is David important? That's the great king of Israel, King David. And the Messiah is to come through David's line. This is, this is the value of Matthew's gospel who gives us Jesus' genealogy. And he traces Jesus' genealogy through Joseph back to David and to Abraham. So, Joseph, his ancestral city is Bethlehem. That's where his family of origin was from, and he has to go there in order to register for the census and taxation. He was a descendant of David. And notice Mary has to go with him. She had to register as well, probably because she's pledged to be married to Joseph. They're not married yet. She's betrothed to Joseph. She got pregnant, betrothed. Now, notice thirdly, the circumstances of Jesus' humble birth. There's three things in particular that come out in verses 6 and 7. Note these details. So while they were there in Bethlehem, she goes into labor may have been due to that journey and climbing hills. She gave birth to her firstborn son. Notice Jesus is called her firstborn. That tells us he was not Mary's only child. This is important to realize. Mary was not, did not take a vow to remain a perpetual virgin, whatever some churches say. They had other children, Joseph and Mary. In fact, Mark chapter 6 tells us there were four brothers that Jesus had and some sisters. Mary wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Notice Mary did this right after giving birth, apparently. She wrapped him up in strips of cloth. Not like the wonderful swaddling blankets that they make for mothers today where you fold it over and it's all one piece, beautiful, back then. To secure that baby, protect its body from cold. 
they wrapped him up in strips of cloth. And the text indicates that Mary did this for her baby. And she laid him in a manger. What is a manger? It's a feeding trough. This is a feed trough. So it indicates where, the, where his birth took place, it also sheltered animals. And so you find uh, the nativity scenes, this is where it comes from. Though I, I don't believe it was a stable. I'm going to make another argument in just a second where, that, where it happened. She laid him in a manger, so the Lord Jesus Christ is cradled in a feeding trough. What a, what a detail this is. No doubt there was hay. That's correct. To cushion his bed, that he rested his head where the animals had fed. Now, why, why did the birth take place there? We're told in the text. What a detail this is. She laid in him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Again, what a detail that comes into the Christmas story with that statement. So Joseph and Mary probably because of her pregnancy and where they were, this journey took quite a while, and so they got to Bethlehem, we could surmise, maybe late. And all, the word in here means a lodging place. It it could refer to a traveler's inn, like a motel, or it could refer to a guest room in a home. That would also be considered a lodging place. We're not sure. It could be there was no vacancy anywhere. So where did the birth of Jesus take place? Well, Justin Martyr, one of the early church fathers, 100 to 165 A.D., said this. Since Joseph had nowhere to lodge in that village, he lodged in a certain cave, a cave, near the village of Bethlehem. And while they were there, Mary brought forth the Messiah and laid him in a manger. Now, this is borne out by church tradition because it was well established in the 4th century. Augustine, not Augustine, Constantine, the Emperor Constantine, he, when he became a Christian, he wanted to memorialize the key places connected to the Christian faith and its origin. That's... The reason why we have the Holy Sepulchre, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, the place where Jesus died and was resurrected, that is inside a building in Jerusalem. That goes back to the 4th century. They also did the same with his birthplace. And the church told Constantine's mother, this is where it happened. This was church tradition that he was born born in a cave. 
And so, again, a structure was built over that spot. And that's what you visit today when you want to go to Bethlehem and see where Christ was born. It's inside a building. Down some steps. As I recall when I went there. So he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's in a manger, a feeding trough, because there's no place for them in the inn. This is where the Son of God was born. Now, in verses 8 to 12, we have Jesus' birth being announced in the dead of night to some shepherds. This is also a really beautiful part of the Christmas story. Notice what it says. Verse 8. And in the same region, so somewhere in the vicinity of Bethlehem, where there are fields, in fact, there's a place, it's called the Field of the Shepherds, present day in the area of the town of Bethlehem, the city of Bethlehem, rather, it's not a little village anymore. There's many thousands of people that live there. In the same regions, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So the shepherds, they lived outdoors, and they would take turns watching their flocks. Why did they need to watch them? Well, could they... They didn't want any of their sheep to be stolen. They didn't want their sheep to be killed by wild animals. And so the shepherds were watching their flocks at night. We don't know how many there were. Could have been a whole lot of them. Or it could have just been a couple. It's plural, shepherds. And they're keeping watch over their flocks by night. Notice this happened... When everybody was asleep. (laughs) Everybody's asleep. It's quiet. Jesus made a very quiet entrance into the world, didn't he? The world was asleep when he was born. They were not even aware of what happened. But God is going to disclose this to these particular people that his son was born. And what's significant about shepherds is because shepherds were uh, very... This was a very humble occupation, but they were also a despised class of people, the shepherds. And this is who God chose to reveal... This is just like the God of the Bible. He uses the silly, the... That which the world looks down on, it's the very thing that God chooses to use. We see that this is how God works in the world. How did David dispatch the giant Philistine, Goliath? He did it with a sling. A sling. He spun it around and let it go and... Hit him right in the forehead. Down he went. A nine-foot-tall giant. God uses the silly, the ridiculous, that which is despised, 
in order to show his wisdom. This is how he works. So here are the shepherds. They're in the field watching over their flock by night. In the middle of the night, out of nowhere appears an angel. Now, the angel is unnamed. We don't know who this angel is. It could have been Gabriel, because he, Gabriel was sent to announce the birth of John the Baptist and the coming birth of Jesus to Mary. But it doesn't say, so we don't know. As far as we're concerned, it's an unnamed angel. An angel is uh, a supernatural being. And any encounter with the supernatural is a fearsome thing, according to what happened to people throughout the Bible when they encountered angels. They were struck with terror. They were terrified. But the angel says, "Don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid is the most often repeated command in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? 57 times in the Old Testament, do not fear. Boy, does the human race need that message. Because we have many fears. The angel tells the shepherds who were struck with terror, don't be afraid. In the New Testament, 14 times that command is found. Do not fear. Now why? There's a reason why they shouldn't fear. Notice the argument, the angel says. Do not fear, for behold. For tells us now an argument. Here's the reason why you should not be afraid. Now the angel could have left off that word behold and we would still get the import of the message, but that word behold is actually very important. The word behold is found about 1,300 times in the Bible. Whenever it uses that, it's drawing your attention to what, is, what follows. It's saying, be sure to see this. Look at this. For behold, here's the first thing, I bring you good news. Of great joy, which shall be to all people. Here's why we shouldn't fear. Finally, good news. One word in the original for good news is the word for gospel. I bring you the gospel. Good news. You notice he just doesn't say of joy. Good news of great joy. For who? For just you shepherds? No. For all people. For all the people. For all the people. He goes on to explain it now, the the nature of the good news. Well, what, what good news is it? What is this message that's full of great joy if I embrace it? For unto you, notice that, catch that, what a detail in the message. For unto you, right at the very start of the birth announcement of the angel of Jesus' arrival, is telling us that he has come for you. This this is what characterizes the whole life of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is here on a mission for others. His mission is completely others-focused. He wasn't here for himself. He's here on a rescue mission for mankind. He is, this is good news of great joy for unto you is born this day in the city of David in Bethlehem. Now notice how he describes him because these three terms really sum up the entire argument of the New Testament as to who Jesus is. A great theologian of the early 20th century, he wrote a little book called The Lord of Glory. And he examined every title of Jesus in the New Testament. Every title. The book is about this thick. I have it in my library. And what was interesting is what he says at the end. He said, when you look at all what it said in the New Testament about Jesus, essentially the New Testament puts forth three convictions about him. That he is the Savior, he is the Messiah, and he is God. Those are the three things that the New Testament capitalizes on in showing us who Jesus is. And they're right here. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. What's the first thing he says? A Savior. And by the way, that's what the name Jesus means. Jesus is from the Hebrew Yeshua, which means Yahweh is salvation, or Yahweh is the Savior. So his, his name, Jesus, this is what it means. This is why he was given the name Jesus, because he's the Savior. Now, being a Savior means he was here to carry out a rescue. People talk about, you know, I was saved by a fireman who ran into the house, and our house was on fire, and he carried me to safety. That's the work of a Savior. This is what Jesus came to do. First and foremost, he's the Savior. Secondly, what else does the angel say? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Christ. That Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is his office. And it means he's the Messiah. What is the Messiah? Well, that means the anointed one. This is the Old Testament Promise God's people, Israel, he's going to send the anointed one who's going to come into the world at his appointed time to deliver God's people, the Messiah, the Christ. New Testament says this over and over again. Every time we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus the Messiah. But, notice he adds, the Lord. The Lord. This is the translation of the Hebrew Yahweh. 
This is who Jesus is. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. He is Yahweh who is here being born. This is an amazing thing. This is a Christmas story. Then is added in verse 12. The angel is still speaking. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This is how the shepherds were to recognize the baby that the angel says is here now. Now, notice he says a sign. It it means more than this is how you're going to recognize him. That's true. This is unique. This is a baby, a newborn who's, who's swaddled. And especially the fact that you're going to find this baby cradled in a feeding trough of an animal. This is just amazing detail. Not another baby in a trough that night being a newborn but when it says this is a sign, this, is, this, this word sign is like a signpost. And it's drawing attention to something that is really significant, just so remarkable. And we are to be struck like that by this account. This should be a remarkable detail for anybody reading this. We don't have to be actually in the place of the shepherd going and looking at the baby in the manger, simply reading this account is a remarkable thing and is a sign to the reader himself going through this passage. Now, lastly now, verses 13 and 14. While the earth is silent, heaven rings. With praise. There were only shepherds there to acknowledge this birth. Well, God the Father, who sent his Son into the world, he's going to have more than that. So, a throng of angels, it says a multitude of angels, suddenly appeared with this unidentified angel and they began to praise God. Now, we like to say that the angels were singing. We don't know that they were singing. It doesn't say that they were singing. It simply says that they said. So, that detail, we can't say that they weren't, but we can't say that they were. This is, they were praising God and saying. Now notice this, and what's important in this last verse that I want to capitalize on just at the end of the sermon is this is telling us the results of his coming. This is what comes out of his birth. Right here, it is summed up beautifully for us in three things, three statements that the angels are acknowledging. Notice the first one, glory to God in the highest. Right off, it's telling us that the birth of Jesus is going to bring glory and honor to God in a spectacular way. 
that we yet don't realize and not experienced ourselves. You know, the three great works of God, when you open up a theology book and you begin to look at the works of God, there will be a chapter on God's works. The theologians always divide God's work up into three. Creation, providence, and redemption. These are the three great works of the God of the Bible. Each of the... Providence is God caring for his creation, maintaining it, sustaining it, directing human affairs. That's providence. So God creates the world. He doesn't walk away from it and leave it to its own devices. He is actively behind the scenes, just like he moved on the heart of Caesar Augustus to pass this census in order to move Jacob and, uh, Joseph and Mary down to Bethlehem so Christ could be born there. But the third one is redemption. That, that has to do with him sending Christ, saving his people from their sins. God's work of redemption is that work that brings him the most glory. This is what you'll find when you look at the theology books on it. it, The way God designed our redemption, this brings God glory. Who, Who would have thought of this? Of a substitute. Of his own son. This is how it had to occur. In order for us to have our sins forgiven... And yet to fully punish sin so that God's justice would be satisfied. God came up with the plan of sending his son to take our place. This is what's involved in redemption. And the angels are saying, glory to God in the highest. This, is, this, this plan of redemption is going to bring God great glory. Well, that's the first thing, is what God is himself to have out of his plan of redemption. The work of redemption brings God the most glory of any of his works, the most impressive display of divine attributes are in redemption. The angel doesn't stop there. Notice the next. We're progressing now. Glory to God in the highest. Starts up here with God. Now, peace on earth. He's come into our world. Does the world need peace? Oh, look at what's going on. There's wars going on around the world that we don't even know about. And has always been like this. This is the nature of man. Man has fallen. He can't live in peace. He's violent. But here's the, here's the, here is the only person in the universe who could bring peace to earth. And he comes into the world as a babe. Remember what Jesus said in the upper room before his crucifixion? He said to his own disciples, My peace I leave with you. 
Not as the world gives, so I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Oh, what words? This is why the Bible calls him the Prince of Peace. There's no peace to be found apart from Jesus Christ. His work on the cross is defined in terms of the peace that he brought between God and man. Paul puts it like this in Colossians 1, having made peace by the blood of his cross. So the Lord Jesus, he brings peace to the earth, peace between man and God. And then once that relationship has been rectified and man is no longer disoriented and alienated from his creator, and he now has peace with God, Because that wall of sin has been torn down and now that relationship can be restored. They can be reconciled. This is how it's taught to us. And Now, people who have experienced this now have the incentive to be peacemakers. To be peacemakers. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. This is a characteristic of a Christian. He He wants to be at peace with everybody around him. Nothing bothers a Christian more than to know that somebody is offended, that he's offended somebody or somebody has something against him and things aren't right. We want to take care of that. We want to resolve that. We want peace. This is is in the nature of the Christian. But now finally, look at the third thing. Glory to God, peace on earth, Here's what Christmas cards really also like to bring out. Good will toward men. What does the birth of Jesus tell us about God's attitude toward the human family? It is not ill will. Sometimes the church has been very harsh in this and emphasizes, you know, God doesn't love everybody, God hates some people, and this. When Jesus was born, the whole throng of God's heavenly hosts, thousands of angels, were saying, Good will toward men. The God of the Bible is kindly disposed toward the human family. He's not, he doesn't have ill will toward us. It's goodwill toward men. And literally, that means kindly intent. It comes out beautifully in a statement from the Apostle Paul. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 4, Paul wrote, But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward mankind appeared. And he uses a word, it's only used one time in the New Testament, philanthropia there. And it means the love of mankind. The love of mankind. This is the God of the Bible. He loves, the pinnacle of his creation is man. Made in his image. He loves man. And he sent his son on a rescue mission to redeem them and bring them to himself. I'm quoting here from a past uh, preacher. The great design of God in the gospel. Listen to his words. 
The great design of God in the gospel is to manifest his love to the children of men. Nope, that's the Christmas story. That's what Christmas is all about. After Linus read it in the Charlie Brown Christmas. If you haven't watched the 1965 Charlie Brown's Christmas, watch it. It's only 28 minutes long. But Linus drops his blanket when Charlie Brown says, Can anybody tell me what Christmas is all about? And Linus went to the microphone and he read Luke 2, verses 8 to 14. No music, no nothing. It's silent. It has a, it's tremendous. And it was the voice of a child reading it because they had all children in that cast playing those parts. Glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's the ESV. I'm departing from that translation. But I pray the Lord will make this real to each and every one of us on this Christmas Eve and that we will just relish the Christmas story. It's, it never grows old. It's the greatest story ever told. How can we not be moved toward Jesus and want to know him and want to follow him? This is the point of it. He didn't remain a baby. He grew into a a man, and lived to about 33, and then went to the cross in our place. Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.